Welcome to the Crowdmakers, inside the C-suite of sports and entertainment, the definitive podcast on the inner workings of the business side of professional sports, concerts, and live events. These are the people that are shaping the new landscape of the industry, the executives that are creating the new paradigm for live entertainment. These are the inside conversations you won't hear anywhere else. These are the Crowdmakers. Support for the Crowdmakers comes from ISBI 360, the digital training network that uses micro-learning and spaced repetition to form new habits of success in sales, service, leadership, and more. Created by sports and entertainment industry experts for the industry. Learn more at ISBI360.com. And now, here's your host for the Crowdmakers, Bill Gertine. Welcome to the Crowdmakers. It's Bill Gertine once again. And with me today is C. Lee Smith, or known as Lee Smith, the president and CEO of Sales Fuel. Sales Fuel is a $10 million company based in Columbus, Ohio, which provides the tools, the training, and the intelligence to help reps sell smarter and managers coach more effectively. He's named one of 2020's leading sales consultants by Selling Power Magazine. And he's the author of two books, including his latest, Sales Cred, How Buyers Qualify Sellers, which was just released in October of this year. Welcome, Lee, to the Crowdmakers. It's great to be with you. You know, this pandemic doesn't appear to have slowed you down at all. You've been out earning several certifications. Mm -hmm. Look, what did you see in this time that you saw as an opportunity? And describe the certifications that you've earned here in this past year. Well, so much of it is that, you know, you you see people that create a piece of content, a book or a video series or a TED talk that they replay over and over and over again. And, you know, it just kind of gets on autopilot. And what happened was, is that with COVID, all that messaging got upended. So a whole lot of new messaging needed to, uh, you know, new content had, (coughs) a whole bunch of new content had to be created. And, uh, you know, so I thought that was an opening. And it's like, not only that, but it's like, you know, there were things that had to be said. And so one of the things that uh, I like to do, and I do really well, is I tend to thrive in situations where, you know, the rules have changed and it requires a quick pivot. And uh, because I b- believe very strongly in being very agile. And that's, that's what I consult. When I consult, that's what I teach the sales managers and sales leaders that I work with. And so it was, you know, it was easy for me to do. I produced more content this year than I ever have in any year prior. And I've been doing this for about 35 years. So, uh, yeah, I've been a, it's been a very busy year. And to answer your second question about the certifications, uh, that's been about a year worth of study. Uh, w- with behavioral mastermind Steve Sisler, who who himself has written four different books, and uh, you know, and learning all about not only the psychometric assessments, but also how you know how the brain is wired, and, and of course, I apply that into sales and sales management, and uh, and and not just through hiring assessments and everything like that, but also then on on how to how to build and develop and keep a high performing sales team. So that's really how I use those metrics. Uh, and, and there are various of them. I see a lot of people, I see some people out there that just will do a disc assessment, you know, and I just, they'll say, oh, okay, well, we've got that covered box checked or something like that. And that just scratches the surface. That's just, you know, one angle of looking at things or whatever. And you really need a more comprehensive, holistic uh, viewpoint of the mindset of a seller and of the seller's manager. And so that's what I achieved through the certification of my three uh, certificates. Very good. When you started Sales Fuel, which would have been Ad Mall at that time, geez, over 30 years ago now, but your roots are actually in the media. 
You graduated with a BS in journalism and advertising from Ohio University. You worked in ad sales and as co-op ad manager for the Columbus Dispatch in the early 90s. You actually published a soccer newsletter called Match Night, which ran yeah. from 2000 to 2007, where you covered national pro and college soccer teams. Do you consider yourself a journalist at heart even today? I still, let's put it this way. Before I was a journalist, I was a scientist, you know, and I was, uh, another thing that's interesting about me is like I was twice a, a finalist at the International Science and Engineering Fair. Uh, and, uh, and actually uh, got an honorable mention my second, second time around, which was great. And so I, everything that I've learned about the scientific method, I still apply to business today. Also, everything that I learned about being a, an objective journalist, you know, which we when I would call old school journalism, I think. Uh, but you know, as far as suspending judgment, gathering facts, reporting facts without bias, and, you know, and being an honest broker of information, I still hold that dear to my heart. And I still do that every day with the content that I share with my clients and prospects and, you know, and the world, quite frankly, through all the other vehicles, whether it be my podcast, Manage Smarter, or the books or the blogs on, you know, on salesfuel.com. Uh, you know, I still hold those two principles the things that I learned early on in my career I, I still uh, are with me today. Well, let's go back to when you started Sales Fuel, would have been back in 1989. What did you see at the time that was needed for salespeople to succeed that wasn't happening in the marketplace at that time? What was not happening and still, to some extent is still not happening to a great degree is that salespeople, you know, the, the consultative sales was just starting to really take off and take hold a, a, as a methodology. And the problem with that is, is that salespeople were so focused on old school hard selling at, 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 the, at that time that they were ill-equipped then to be able to be consultative salespeople. And so I pretty much had to do this on my own. I mean, I started gathering, you know, we had newsletters that came in the mail back in the day and magazines that came in the mail and, and newspapers and like that. And I would, I would uh, start clipping folders then for each of my clients then. And so each time that I would go out to see them, I would have something to share with them. And, you know, selfishly, I did that because I was really uncomfortable with small talk at the time. You know, it's like I, I wasn't, like, wasn't into getting it, talking about the weather or you're in Columbus, Ohio, you had to talk about how the Buckeyes did over the weekend. And, you know, it's like I, I went to Ohio University, not Ohio State. So that's, you know, uh, so, you know, the small talk about, you know, people's families and everything like that. You know, I didn't really understand the value of that till later in my career. So what I did, though, is like I, I got all those clippings and saved all those clippings, one, to provide value to stand out from the other salespeople, but also to avoid the small talk at the dope up a sales call. So the sales call is always, hey, I was reading whatever magazine, Outdoor Power Equipment magazine, I came across this article where I think that you might be interested in. There's a new trend where blah, 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 blah. It's like, you know, have you thought about that? What are you, what are you doing in this particular area? And I would start up a conversation and I didn't have to have the small talk. So that's how the whole thing got started. And that's where I actually became familiar with your material at the time, having been a radio ad guy for many years ah. in the industry. So it, uh, that's how I have known your stuff. And you and I are both radio guys. I got my start in radio, so radio and newspaper. So I, I used to work for a small AM radio station in Marietta, Ohio, you know, and I worked in the, the midnight shift at this news radio station. So, you know, if, if I wasn't like, you know, running the control board for Larry King, remember him overnights, you know, I was, uh, you know, I was reading the news and everything like that. So uh, that was, that, that's interesting. We have similar roots. Indeed. And it was sports now too. You'd mentioned match night. Yeah. You know, match night wasn't just a newsletter. 
uh, match night was really, uh, at the time we didn't have the term blog at the time. So really what I did is I, I put together, I had, uh, reporters, you know, fan reporters in each of the major league soccer cities at the time there was only 10. And the problem of it is, is like major league soccer was getting no coverage on ESPN or in the newspapers or anywhere else. If it wasn't for the soccer America, you know, newspaper, uh, there was virtually nothing. And so there were, so the online presence w was, was pretty weak too. And even to that extent, it's like I ran the Columbus crew website for two years early on and actually did uh, webcasted many of their games. Uh, this is before digital streaming was, was a big deal. So, you know, one of my, one of our biggest supporters, our biggest advertisers was Mark Cuban. And I remember, I haven't talked to Mark directly, but it's like, I, you know, I talked through his assistant a lot because he at the time was running HD net back when H high definition television was, was coming out. And so he had HD net and they would broadcast in high definition, major league soccer games. So he was one of our biggest advertisers on the match night news network. And so these, so to put it in today's terms, really what they really were, were like blogs, except that the people that wrote them had credentials. And so they got access and everything like that. They wrote game reports. They did feature stories and all that. They attended practices. And uh, yeah, we, we also webcasted the major league soccer super draft for three years. And uh, we were the only company to do that. That was before then they, they made the jump then to actually start to televise that. And now, of course, they've dropped back to doing a conference call again because you know, Major League Soccer changed, which you know, the, the draft is not as big of a part of how new players come into the league now. And, uh, yeah, so it's like it, that was fun, too. It was, it was a lot of fun. And uh, it didn't pay very well, but it was a lot of fun. <laughs> Were you got, a soccer really the fan yourself? Did that come from fandom? Are you a player? Where, where did that come from? So I've never played soccer. I'm a hockey guy. I'm, I'm a, you know, so I played hockey. I played football. And so that, those are my two things. Uh, but you know, Columbus crew was the first major league, uh, team in Columbus, Ohio, and also the first team in major league soccer. And so, you know, always been a, a big fan of that day one season ticket holder. And, uh, and still to this day, got my seats planned for the new stadium, uh, that, that opens next summer. Hopefully the, that, yeah, we'll have vaccines in place with COVID that we'll be able to attend the games and, and celebrate that stadium in style. Unlike, you know, what's happening in the NFL where they've opened two fantastic stadiums, but there's nobody in, in the stadiums because of COVID. Hopefully we won't have that issue in Columbus. Cincinnati's opened up a stadium next year as well, which is our arch rival. So, uh, we wish them the best with the stadium, but, but uh, I hope they're enjoying their wooden spoon, which is given to the Major League Soccer team with the worst record because they get beaten regularly with a wooden spoon. So, you know, congratulations, guys. <laughs> well, you now at SalesField, you have a sales force of your own. Mm -hmm. You coach sales leaders on how to sell. Now, in today's post-pandemic world, if we want to call it that, what has had to change in your approach to selling others not only on your services, but in sales in general right now. So with that, uh, two things became even more important. Uh, empathy is, is much more important because we as salespeople really have to make the extra effort to listen with the intent to understand what our client, our prospect is going through in, in their business. So if it's a small business running a restaurant or for, for a time there, it's like uh, if they were a hairstylist, you know, and they weren't allowed to function normally, uh, you know, or if they're uh, a bed and breakfast and, and, and of course that's down, uh, you know, so we really have to understand their situation from their perspective and, and, you know, really what it means. I mean, cause in many cases it's life or death business decisions for them. 
and and not be so cavalier about it that uh, you know this this is an even bigger deal than it was before. So there's that. The other one is agility. Uh, again, both of these things were 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 important before, but they just really got magnified. And so, you know, we can't keep doing things the old way. You know, salespeople, as you know, it's like, you know, they're sending out a hell of a lot more emails than they used to before. They're texting more often. And, you know, there aren't in-person sales calls going on. It's like it's all Zoom calls and, and video chats and that sort of thing. So, you know, it's a little bit harder to build trust. And, of course, uh, you know, with that, though, requires a high degree of credibility, which, which is what led me to write the book Sales Cred, because so many times in sales, you know, you and I, Bill, we talk about trust. And you can't have trust without credibility, you know, so building credibility is how you get to trust. And so I think that that's, that is really the number one problem that's facing sales teams today. And that's why I wrote the book. Well, let's talk about the book for just a minute. As part of your research into sales cred, you conducted what is called the American State of Credibility Survey. Mm -hmm. This is where you ask people which occupations had the most perceived credibility among consumers. It's not a surprise that car salespeople ranked at the bottom of the list with a 20% rating. I think they probably get a bad rap, but everybody thinks that. But talk to us about some of the surprising findings you made about the importance of credibility in that process. So with that, you know, car salespeople were, were near at the bottom as were lawyers, home repair contractors. You know, it's like because there, there are plenty of good just with the salespeople, you know, all professions were judged by our worst practitioners. I don't care if you're a chiropractor, salesperson, a, a doctor, whatever. It's like if someone's had a bad experience or whatever, unfortunately, the entire industry gets painted with that brush. In sales, what, what we don't do is like, well, when someone is being a practitioner and doing cutting corners and doing things the wrong way, you know, we don't shun them. We don't take them aside and say, hey, you know, you really can't be doing it because you're making us all look bad. No, we beat their brains in. We go and take their clients away. So and, you know, and, and that's what we do. Uh, but, you know, it wasn't just car salespeople because there were all salespeople then ranked very low. Even real estate agents, you know, had like a 35% credibility rating, uh, which, which is pretty low. And you know, I think the most heartening thing for me, though, was small business owners ranked among the highest uh, uh, of industries. Uh, and you can compare and contrast that to CEOs of publicly traded companies and also executives at publicly uh, at large corporations couldn't be a bigger gulf there. It's like, you know, you have the small business owner here at the top and you see have the CEOs and the other business professionals of large corporations near the bottom when it comes to credibility. So that made me feel good as being a small business owner myself and working with a lot of them. And the other thing was, is in the middle of a pandemic, it's really important that we trust and we see our uh, health professionals as credible. And it, it really made me happy to see that the top three professions were Number three, pharmacists. Number two, doctors. Number one, nurses. So that prompts us to, you know, we've been having a lot of internal discussion here, which is like, okay, how can we sell more like nurses? You know, it's like, so what is it that they're doing that we're not doing as salespeople? And how can we sell more like nurses? So that's, that's been the internal conversations over here at Sales Fuel. Well, let's talk about that for a minute, because there may be something related to sports sales that could be really valuable here. Many of what you're, what you're saying is that the credibility rests in small business, people that feel as though there's more empathy if they do the business with them. There's been a lot of talk about, you know, shopping small within your own small communities and feeling like you're supporting your own. But then sometimes sports teams can come across as big business and perhaps the opposite 
of what would be represented by a small business. Where do you see or what advice might you have for a sales rep for a sports team today that wants to come across as credible, but works for a very large team? Can they create their own aura amongst themselves of being a small business themselves? They have to. They have to. And, and the thing to understand is that just as credibility is not trust, credibility is also not personal brand. So you can build your own personal brand, but the, the, but the three pillars of credibility are being known, being liked, and being trustworthy. So as a salesperson for a sports team, you know, you have a leg up because you know, you're, it's easier for you to be known because you can be known through your association with, with the team that you represent. So that's a great thing. And even if your team stinks, I mean, you could be like the Philadelphia 76ers who, you know, who routinely underperform, but it's like they have one of the very best ticket sales offices, you know, going. I mean, they have a fantastic culture over there. And, you know, so, but it, being a member of that also helps you in, in being known. And it's not just being, having your name known. I mean, yeah, you can do that through blogs and podcasts and everything like that. And of course, in my book, I, I go through a lot of different pieces of advice on, on how to uh, be seen as, as credible and, and to be known. But, you know, it's, uh, it's also about being liked. I think salespeople have an inherent need to be liked. Uh, you know, so, so there's that. But again, getting back to being known, it's like being known is not just having people know your name. It's having people actually know who you are, what you're about, and you being your authentic self. So that, and you show up when you show up. And the person who you are when you're making a sales call is the same person that they come across if they were bump, they bump into you at the stadium or in the grocery line, something like that. And that's what being known is about. Of course, being trustworthy, you know, is a huge component of, of credibility because they can know you, they can, they can know of you, they, and, and they think they know you, they can really like you. But, you know, the first time that you make promises that you don't deliver on, or if you say some things that are sketchy, or you are quoting sources or whatever that are not reliable sources, uh, yeah, your, credi your, your credibility is going to take a big hit. And that's going to make it more difficult for you to achieve the status of trusted advisor because you don't have the credibility. We'll be back for the second half right after this. Hi, this is Bill Gertine. I've been training the ticket sales departments of sports and entertainment for almost 20 years, and I love what I do. But everywhere I went, the story was always the same. We loved what you did. You got us fired up. But after a while, we kind of lost the spark, and we went back to the same old, same old. Well, not anymore. ISBI 360 is the first and only digital training network created exclusively for the specific long-term career needs of sports and entertainment professionals. Our seven different unique certification programs include the fundamentals of success in the industry like ticket sales, sponsorships, social media, customer service, and leadership, all trained by industry experts like Brett Zalaski, Debbie Nolan, Misha Sher, and Seth Rabinowitz. ISBI 360 uses a unique four-stage learning process, including cutting-edge micro-learning videos, live recorded role plays, live coaching from industry experts, and an ongoing reinforcement program to make sure the learning sticks and forms the habits that your people need to grow and excel faster. Check out the two-minute demo at isbi360.com demo. That's isbi360.com demo. Building a better team starts with better training. Check out what's different about ISBI 360 today. 
Well, you talk about that trusted sales advisor. And I know in the book, Sales Cred, you outline a five-layer framework that you call the hierarchy of sales credibility. And this allows people to see where they are on the ladder today. They might do a self-assessment apparently and, and what they need to do to get to that next level. I wonder if you couldn't go through those five layers briefly with us. Sure. I mean, the, the foundation of sales credibility these days is what the internet says and what the internet says about you. So this is how you appear to buyers, even before, you know, on Google, on LinkedIn, and other social media, even before you even know that they're interested because 59% uh, of buyers, particularly of small business buyers, are already researching the salesperson before they accept a meeting with them or they, they take a call with, with the sales rep. 29%, of course, are researching the, the LinkedIn profile, an even bigger percentage are, are just doing a quick Google search and to see what comes up. And so the more credible things that you have that pop up, whether it's an article that you wrote, so in sports, it's, it's about increasing, sport, uh, increasing sponsorship sales or uh, increasing season ticket revenue or, or uh, you know, renewals or something like that. Uh, that goes a long way because it shows that you're an ex expert you know, in, in what you're talking about. So that sets the foundation. And again, the thing about it is that you, as a salesperson these days, you don't get to make the first impression. Google and, and LinkedIn make the first impression for you. So Google yourself, LinkedIn yourself, and take a look at what comes up. And, and also ask yourself the question, does what comes up tell my prospective buyer that I understand their situation, I can solve their problems and help them achieve their goals? And if it doesn't, start making changes right away. Next is what you say as, as a salesperson. So are you providing relevant value? So it's not just I'm providing value or I'm adding value. It's a matter of is that value relevant to, you know, to what their biggest concerns are right now? Is, does it speak to what their CEO of their company talks about in meetings all day long? Uh, you know, or, or if it's not, just like you could be providing a solution to the wrong problem. And another key part of that is asking smart questions. So that starts with another piece of an ebook that I've written called The Seven C's of Highly Credible Salespeople. And that's all about the seven C's of pre-call intelligence. And so it's, it's all about that. So the, the homework that you do beforehand and that, that homework allows you to ask the smart questions that makes you come across as smart, but also then allows you to get better answers than that your competitors are going to get that, that's going to aid you then later on in the sales process. How you say it, of course, is very important. So this, we, we see a lot of salespeople every day give away their credibility and, and the things that they say in their emails or write in their text or things that, that are on video or, or usually then also how they conduct themselves in their online meetings where they have a cluttered background that's totally not relevant then to the, to the prospect at hand or you know they, they show up, they can't, they're fumbling around with the audio and visual and you know they act like they've never done this before. So, you know... I, I would say take the advice of Paul Brown, legendary football coach. It's like you know, act like you've been there before. So uh, next, what you do. So it's not enough to it's not enough just what you say and how you say it, but then you actually have to deliver the goods. So it's about providing positive business outcomes, and you have to be honest, authentic, and also congruent. So what you say and what you do have have to back each other up. And when the more you do that over time or whatever, the more credible you become. And the, the end game here is the top level. It's what all salespeople really aspire to, which is what they say. What they say is what do your prospects say about you? Do, or do they give you referrals? Will they give you a testimonial? Will they write you a, a positive review? Uh, will they uh, participate in a case study? 
you know, that, that you can then share them with other people. Will they make introductions for you to, to, to their friends? Because if they do that, it's because they're sharing their own credibility with you because they think you can also help their friends by solving their problems and helping them achieve their goals. And, but you can't have that top level, level five, unless you've got levels one through four in abundance. And that is why it's a pyramid. And that is why it's a sale. It's a hierarchy of sales credibility. And that's really what you can do as a salesperson then to improve your credibility so that you can you know, earn the, the status of trusted advisor and, and makes it so much easier to make future sales. What are the consequences then, Lise? You've just layered all those five, one after the other. What are the consequences of someone believing that they've earned the respect enough of someone and asked for these testimonials and to participate in other things without having earned them? Maybe they're on level five in their minds, but their client still sees them as a level one. What are the consequences of that? Well, I think what will happen is you hear people say there's no harm in asking. I don't always believe in, the, in that. But if you go ahead and you ask for a referral or a testimonial and you don't get one, that should be a wake up call. It's like, yeah, you're not on level five. You know, so it allows you maybe to go back and reassess, you know, where you stand with that particular prospect and or that particular account and, and what you could be doing differently. Uh, and so that you, you can earn that status. So I don't know that there's a whole lot of consequence to uh, other than if, if you're asking them to write something that's not true, for example, uh, that's a big problem. Uh, because that says more about your credibility than it does about their credibility. And it's a problem even if they go ahead and they do it. You know, then what happens is like, so now there's stuff out there about you that's not true. And if somebody were to call and say, oh, I know Bob over at ABC, you know, you know Windows or something like that. And they call Bob up and Bob's like, oh, who's that guy? I, I don't know who you're talking about. It's like, yeah, well, that was just something he asked me to fill out or whatever. I was going to get some special deal or whatever. So I just, you know, I just did him a favor or something like that. It's like, well, that actually harms your credibility more than it helps. So it, it's about making sure that you're actually on level five and it's a wake up call if, if they won't do it. Is there one actionable step that people who are listening today can do that you see can universally increase their level of credibility right away? Right now, I would say, as a salesperson, remember that marketing emails are, is one message to, to many people. Sales emails are one message to one person. What I see so many salespeople doing in the advent of marketing automation software is like we have these templated emails and you know, we, with, that are canned, and we just basically put in the, the, the prospect's first name and send it off you know, a, a, as if you know, we're, we're crafting a, a real email. The problem with that is, is that we've not personalized it. We've not actually addressed their problems, their needs, their solutions. We've not provided them relevant value because all we're doing usually is we're talking about ourselves or talking about our product or our company, and we're not talking about what's most important, which is them. And so if the very first and easiest thing you can do right now is, is to stop using templated email and actually speak to your prospect as a real person, a business person, and speak to their needs and, and their concerns and how you're able to help and then actually demonstrate that by helping. And it'll take you longer to write the emails. No doubt about it, it'll take you a little bit longer. It takes a, you know, the pre-call research though makes it so much easier. Uh, so that you, you know what you're going to say to them. And, you know, if you're doing that on a regular basis, it's not that much more difficult, but the results, even if you send fewer emails, you're going to get far better results and your credibility will, will, will definitely take, take a spike up. I'm going to give you a bonus one though. The other one that you can do is take a look at your LinkedIn profile. 
I mean, first and foremost, it's like, you know, are the, I mean, if it doesn't tell your prospective buyer that, yeah, it's like, I know something about sports sponsorships and how it helped, you know, uh, uh, soda bottlers or whatever, or banks or credit card companies and get the most out of their sponsorship dollars, you know, at the local level, if it doesn't scream that or whatever, then you need to go back and rewrite what, what you're writing because it's like so many people think of their LinkedIn profile. So like, this is my resume in case I need to go out and look for another job. But while you're in the job that you're in, that LinkedIn profile then it actually is speaking to prospective buyers of yours, not necessarily for prospective employers, and to rewrite it then to speak to that audience. And that will be the first step in, in doing the credibility. Second thing, of course, is, is the email suggestion I just gave. Absolutely. You want to deal with somebody who wants to stay in their position, not somebody who is interested in the next position. That's right. So much of what you're saying, Lee, I think applies to leadership as well. Mm -hmm. Those credibility points that you're talking about really need to exist with leadership as well to those that they supervise. What can leaders take away from your research or from SalesCred, the book, that can help them potentially become better, more credible leaders of their reps? So all leaders are salespeople. So you know, just keep that in mind if you're, if you're a leader, because you have to sell a point of view, you have to sell an unpopular policy or, or process, or you, you have to sell people to trust the process that, that, you, that you've developed. You know, so when things get a little difficult or where they, they just don't you know, freelance it and start doing their own thing. So you have to sell uh, the board of directors or, 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 or the, you know, the top leadership of your company because you need more budget. And so you have to sell them on how you're going to get that. So understand that, that all leaders are salespeople, whether they want to be or not. And the other thing is, is that leaders need to have the sales cred, but there's actually so much more than that. They also need to have great credibility as leaders as far as how they interact then you know, with their employees, their direct reports, but also then their associates, their colleagues, uh, their network, their circle, uh, and of course, managing up. So Leadership, it requires sales credit, but it requires quite a bit more than that. But credibility, it's like a leader without credibility. I think that we've seen, uh, you know, in many instances lately that a, that a leader without credibility has a difficult time getting things done you know, because, you know, they're not believable or people don't want to work with them or people is like, you know, are all too quick, basically, to, to, to trash them, you know, when, when they feel like they've got nothing to gain from the relationship. That's, that's not the mark of a leader. Yeah. So much has changed in the last 12 months or so. What do you think this unique situation has given the sales industry an opportunity to do or perhaps to be that may never come again? Is there a window that you think exists right now to change or improve something that you see? What's fantastic about this time is that it's, it's caused us as salespeople then to use the video technology that we have to our advantage and allows in our prospects that they're more accepting of that. So what happens is, is that this allows us another tool in our toolbox and the fact that right now we do it out of necessity. But let's just say that magically vaccine happens, it's 90% effective. And a year from now, it's like you know, everything is hunky-dory again. We're packing stadiums and enjoying some live sports. So what that means is that, you know, there are times when we need to have in-person meetings and we can go back to having those, but we can still accomplish so many more sales calls and so many more touch points with people through the video technology that we've had to learn through necessity from, from COVID. So that is what's going to be great for salespeople is all that. But, you know, with the video, it's like it's, it's a little tougher than being in person then to, to earn that trust. And that's why, why the credibility is so much more important. Great point. 
Are there any storylines going on right now in the sales and marketing world that you're watching really closely? Something that you think is is really um, perhaps even not being discussed enough that you think will become more important sooner than later? I'm really taking a strong look at AI as it relates to sales. And here, here's the thing is that if you're a salesperson without credibility and you're a salesperson and it's just an order taker, uh, AI will put you out of a job. Simple as that. So if you want to stay in the sales business, then you need to have great credibility and you need to be something more. You need to be providing value, more value than a computer algorithm can provide. And if you're not able to do that or not willing to do that, that requires usually a high degree of, of, of empathy. It requires a high level of curiosity so that you're always learning. Everyone talks about you got to be a lifelong learner. That's never been more true than sales today. Um, you know, if you don't do that, then you can be, you, know, you can expect them to be looking for another line of work, you know, and, and it's like, and the thing about it is it's accelerating. You might think that it's a lifetime away or it's 20 or 30 years away. I'm thinking more like five to 10. So, you know, take that in consideration that your job might be at stake if you keep doing things the way that you did them pre COVID-19. This last section, I really enjoy doing, Lee, because these are the lightning fill-in-the-blank uh, questions. So just the first thing that comes off the top of your head. You ready? That could be, that could be very dangerous. <laughs> oh, it can be, yes. But it is fun at the same time. Are you ready? As long as we have a sensor, let's go. <laughs> All right, good. Your favorite binge watch during the pandemic? Ooh. Um, boy, that's a tough one. I don't know. I... For me, it's like I, I binge watch on Major League Soccer just because they just played all throughout the whole thing. So I, I binged on a lot of soccer. Besides sports, of course, the one thing that you have missed most during COVID? Ooh, uh, restaurants, dining inside of restaurants. I've not dined inside of a restaurant since, since March of 2020. And, you know, I miss it. So it's like, yeah, especially as the weather gets a little colder, it's like, yeah, it's like it's tough, going to be tougher to, to dine outside. Well, let's talk about your restaurants. The sit-down restaurant you've ordered out from for the first time. For the first time. That you pulled up and take an order home with um, rather than eating there. Wow. Um, you know what was interesting is that in Columbus, Ohio, there's a great restaurateur. And Cameron Mitchell is his name. He, he wrote a book recently as well on leadership. But I, I think it's called something like that. Uh, the answer is yes. Now, what is the question? And yeah, he has several restaurants and like that. So what I had done there is like, I would buy a box, uh, meal in a box, pick it up at, at the catering place where take it home, throw it on the grill, you know, throw it with other stuff on, on the stove in the microwave and like that and had a Cameron Mitchell meal without actually having to be in the restaurant. So, and that, and, and also in Ohio, it's like being able to take home, you know, margaritas, and, and mixed drinks and everything like that, you know, from a restaurant is fantastic. And I hope that, that they never go back to doing it the way they did it before. <laughs> the board game you never thought you'd pull out again that you played during COVID. Trivial Pursuit. All right. Favorite musical artist on your workout mix? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my God. Bon Jovi. All right. Good. Favorite comedian or comedian? Ooh, so many of those. Craig Ferguson is still my all-time favorite. Love that guy. Awesome. Uh, favorite thing about Ohio? Ah, so much about Ohio. Uh, it's the people. It's the food. Columbus is a great foodie town. Fall in Columbus is the absolute best because you've got baseball, soccer, hockey, football all going on at the same time. The leaves change colors. 
and everything like that. Um, but also uh, cycling, you know, as I'm a long distance cycling cyclist. And so it was like, I love just being out uh, right out through Ohio, out into, into the countryside and seeing all kinds of things you can't see by car. The biggest hurdle you have to overcome in the next six months. Um, that's a good one. Well, I, I think what we're doing right now is that we're taking the sales cred book. Uh, and of course, I'm recording the audio book right now as we speak, but then also doing a, a, a video, uh, doing video for e-learning. So we're developing that as an e-learning platform. And then also there's, there's sales cred pro, which then allows you as a salesperson then to just log in and select the type of account or whatever. And we're going to tell you what's going on in that particular category uh, and give you all kinds of takeaways that you can then share uh, with your clients. So those doing those things actually are at the top of my list. Cool. And one bold prediction that you would have for the sales profession going forward. Ooh, um, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Uh, you know, it's, uh, again, it's going to be AI is going to, to ravage the industry, you know, sooner rather than later. And that there'll be quite a few, there'll be thousands and thousands of sales jobs that will just go away. And, it, you know, and I'll say that for another reason. Dude. Think about when you're buying a car. It's like we talked about car salespeople. It's like they have apps on your phone specifically designed to help you avoid talking to a car salesperson. And so the better they can make those apps of, uh, of all industries and of all products that you buy, particularly commodity type products mind you, uh, but you can also buy insurance and stuff like that that way as well. Uh, you know, it's like as more of those types of things take hold and, and the artificial intelligence gets better and better, uh, you know, you've got, you got to be bringing the value and it's got to be relevant and, you know, and, and you've got to be helping your, your prospect and, uh, you know, and keep them in mind, top of mind always. And if you're not doing that, you're going to get replaced by an app. So grateful for your time, Lee. How can someone get in touch with you if you'd like? So you can visit my webpage, which is cleesmith.com. The first initial C, I put that in there because uh, your audience, sports fans or whatever, remember the great relief pitcher, Lee Smith, who played for the Chicago Cubs, Baltimore Orioles, and about six other teams. Fantastic. So if you Googled Lee Smith or whatever, you're going to see him. That Lee Smith doesn't look like me. Uh, and also, it's like he's got a way better arm. Even today, he's got a better arm. Uh, and then, uh, but sealysmith.com, salesfuel.com is, is where you'll find my company. And uh, you can also go to salescred.com and that'll get you there as well. Lee, we're so grateful for your time here. C. Lee Smith, president and CEO of Sales Fuel. Thanks for sharing your wisdom here with us on the Crowdmakers. Thank you so much, Bill. If you enjoyed the program, please like us, share us with those you know, and hit subscribe on the podcast. And we'll let you know when another new episode is dropped. Your positive comments will help keep the Crowdmakers on the air. We'd be grateful for your five-star review. Got someone you'd like to hear as a guest on the Crowdmakers? Let us know, and we'll do our best to reach out to them. Drop us a note at info at isbi360.com. That's info at isbi360.com. Support for the Crowdmakers comes from ISBI 360, the first and only digital training network for sports and entertainment professionals. Check out the two-minute demo at isbi360.com slash demo. That's isbi360.com slash demo. Building a better team starts with better training. Our chief engineer of the Crowdmakers is Ken Marinelli. Sean Quinn is our director of operations. Mark Yazowitz is the digital platform guru. And the executive producer of the Crowdmakers is Doug Quinn. I'm Bill Gertine. Until next time, thanks for listening and so long for now. This is the Crowdmakers on the C-Suite Radio Network.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.